I'm curious what uh, keeps you up at night, or if you wake up in the middle of the night, what are you thinking about? Uh, are you, when you're concerned about things, when you find yourself uh, curious or, or concerned or wondering or, or grieved, I know there's any variety of things that we can be grieved about or concerned about, but do you find that it has to do more with the events of the world? Uh, do you find that it has to do more with uh, the economy of our nation? or the state of our nation, or the state of the world, the economy of the world, the, 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 the larger uh, events of the world, uh, the events of your family in and of itself. And then where in there does the, the events of your local church in the context of how God has organized that under the umbrella of the universal church, fit into that sort of scale of things uh, that you're most concerned about. In, in other words, you don't have to necessarily try to rate them except just to understand, am I more concerned about the things of the world? Uh, and I don't mean sinful things. I mean the events of the world as they unfold. Or am I more concerned about the local church? as part of God's universal church. We're in a series called Holy His, and our, and our aim is to look at our mission and vision as a church family, as, as we've understood it, and as we unite together under God's word. You know, it's always a funny thing. Uh, we have been given by God His precious word, which is uh, magnanimous. It's full. It's, it's long. There's a lot in there. There are parts of the Bible that are really easy to understand and apply. There are parts of the Bible that are not so easy to understand. And we learn from many who've gone before us and uh, many who are smarter than us, at least this guy, and learning from them and their study of the word. And, and that's really beneficial. And then there are parts of God's word that are really easy to understand and can be difficult to apply. Or they're easy to understand, not that hard to apply, and yet we find within our own hearts a concern with other things more than the priority of God working in the world through his word, through the vehicle of the local church, and we're just sort of ambivalent to the whole thing. As a church, our, our, our mission vision statement is uh, that we exist to reach and teach and live out what it means to be wholehearted followers of Christ. Now, I've seen that worded different ways. I remember uh, years ago, I was studying vision statements as I was working on writing one for my youth ministry in New Jersey. And so I, I spent some time uh, research, researching mission and vision statements. And, um, uh, you know, one that I looked at recently from another church, their vision, make more and better disciples. I'm like, boy, that's succinct. <laughs> I kind of like that. More disciples. We want to reach the world. We want to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ and how to live as Christians. And better overlaps with teaching to unbelievers as well as to believers. But encouraging believers how to walk in the faith, how to grow up in maturity into Christ. There are many ways to say that. Jesus said it like this. Go therefore into the, all the world, uh, baptizing People of every nation. Teaching them to obey everything, everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you to the very end of the age. So at the end of the day, we want to hold up God's word, and we want to say, we do, we pray that we do everything under the authority of God's word. 
and that we're driven and motivated by and clinging to and growing in God's word. And and yet we find uh, other ways where we will maybe couch the same general phrases, but all still under the idea of doing things according to the word of God, right? That's what we want to do. So this morning we're going to cover, I'm going to just talk about some of our, um, our guiding principles there or our core values. And we'll talk about those in a few minutes, but also we want to uh, cover this morning. What it mean, what, it, what does it look like for us to reach and teach. We're going to focus on those two aspects of it. And next week, looking a little bit more about uh, living out what it means to be a wholehearted follower of Christ. So you may see that I'm struggling with my technology here a little bit, and that's okay. Um, we're under, undergirded by five core values. Now, could you identify more in the Word of God? Absolutely, of course. But the five that we primarily uh, identify as things that are driving forces behind everything that we strive to do is that we want to be Christ-centered. You can talk with lots of friends. You can talk with lots of coworkers. Most people don't have a hard time talking about God. It's when you get to the person and work of Jesus Christ that things become dicey in conversations. Because when we introduce Jesus, we introduce a Savior, and many people are, are fine to talk about God and many roads that lead to God. Jesus says, I am the only way. And that's offensive to some. It's offensive to many, in fact. So we want to be Christ-centered in everything we do. Uh, it seems redundant, but it needs to be said. We want to be biblical. God's authority rests in his word and in the authority structures that he has set up in the body of Christ. So we want to be biblical about everything. We want to be prayerful. Because we need God's help. We need the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. Uh, we want to be relational, right? I and mean, we're not to be Christians in a vacuum. That would be anti-biblical, right? There's, there's quite a movement out there about, in fact, I saw a book title recently, How to Be a Christian and Not Go to Church. Now, I say that somewhat jestfully, but... I mean, Paul had a reason not to go to church. He was in a cell. But whenever, whenever he was out of a cell, he was connecting with a local church, right? And his ministry of apostleship moved him around from church to church, not because he was church shopping, because he was planting and raising up churches and pastors, right? God's called us to be relational beings in the context of the local church. And when we say gift-based, you can focus so much on what are my spiritual gifts. Uh, it, it can become such a focus that it's out of kilter with what really the aim is. The idea is to understand who we are as God has created us and how we're, we're most effective to serve the church body. It'd be sort of like saying, um, I don't have the gift of evangelism, therefore I'm not going to share the gospel. Well, that would be going beyond the biblical understanding of what it means to have gifts that are given to us by God. Everybody's called to evangelize. There are some who are particularly, uh, maybe even annoyingly, good at evangelism. It just seems like they open their mouth and people get saved. You're like, what in the world am I doing wrong? Well, the Lord has gifted people with different gifts. And even with those gifts, he has given them to his children in different capacities. Some have the gift of teaching and love to teach young children. Some have the gift of teaching and it just doesn't work when they teach children. It's not that they don't like children. It's just not how God has, has, has sort of organized or specified their gifting. 
And so we want to lead a church family who, who says, I want to embrace the gifts that God has given me. I won't be so tied to them that I'm not willing to do everything else, right? Uh, almost every Sunday we take up the chairs in here and we don't say, who has the spiritual gift of chair stacking? No, we're servants and we work together and people with the gift of teaching and the gift of serving and the gift of giving and the gift of evangelism stack up chairs and roll them against the wall. So we don't want to put too much emphasis on it that we're not willing to serve in other areas. We are called to be sacrificially self, uh, not self-serving, self-sacrificing servants of the body of Christ. And so we want to do that. There are three main points to our mission and vision statement that are, that are really important. Obviously, that's why we worded them this way. We want to reach and teach and live out what it means to be wholehearted followers of Christ. We want to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I see that happening in a few ways. We have us each have our own circle of influence, people that we work with, people that we live with, and people that we play with or interact with. Randy Pope says, who, who, who do you live, work, and play with, right? Who do we engage with in the natural, everyday context of life? Well, let's just start there. Now, there are times to, to engage in a particular focused way. Maybe you go on a mission trip to another location, whether that's domestic or around the world. Sure, absolutely. But each and every day, all of us have some circle of influence that, uh, that God has put us in context with to be, able to, uh, to be able to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be able to live in a way that's missional in, in how we're engaging with people. Don't think missions. Missional means what has God put me here for? If I have a job, the job is a means to an end. Is it to provide for my family? Sure. Yep. Is it to be the whole of my life? No. When your job consistently takes you away from other biblical priorities that are clear in scripture, it's possible your job, which God has given you for certain means or to be a means for certain ends, has become too valuable in your eyes for one of any number of reasons, right? Many of us have, many of us have a, uh, if we're married, maybe some of us have kids, some of us don't, but, but, but God has given you a family for particular ends, primarily to raise up disciples of Jesus Christ. That's more important than Developing good athletes or developing the, the best business person in the world or pick any other vocation. It should be our prayer that our children grow up. If there's anything I can teach them, we know we can't do the work in their heart, but if there's anything I can teach them, it is how to follow Jesus with all of their heart and soul and mind and strength, which comes and is taught as we Strive to follow Jesus with our, all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. So we want to reach those in our circle of influence with the good news of Jesus' saving grace. And there are three ways that this can happen. You could add more to this for sure. We want to have a prayerful awareness. We want to live intentionally. And we want to serve actively. We need to have a prayerful awareness of those around us. Sorry about that. My throat's really dry. And what the Lord may be doing in their life through us. Now think about that. You move to a new place or you start a new job and you begin identifying who it is you work around. You don't really have to work hard at that because they're there. 
They're right there. But then as you engage in conversation, your prayer may begin something like, Lord, I have this whole new group of people, whether it's three or 25 or 150. Lord, I've got this whole new group of people that I am in relationship with now. I mean, barely just at the starting gate. Where are you working? Right? We don't want to get mystical about it. We're not looking for random signs, but we're just beginning to, Lord, who seems to be drawn to me? Or who have I learned something about their life that I'm grieved about? And we don't jump right into fix-it mode. We begin to say, Lord, will you give an opportunity for me to be able to get to know them intentionally? Paul says that we're praying at all times, Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. That's like saying with all prayer and really specific requests. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now in this context, he's referring to Christians, but certainly applies to others as well. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice, always pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstance for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In other words, there's a time to, to maybe be on your knees or sitting at a table or sitting on the couch with your Bible open, reading and praying as we read God's word. But the gist of what he's saying is talk to the Lord constantly. When you get up and you're driving, a concern crosses your mind, boom, immediately take it to the Lord in prayer. Right. When the Lord asked Solomon, what, what's the one thing that you want out of what I'm paraphrasing here? What's the one thing you want? He says, let me pray about this. Right. I remember being a teenager and just having this little study note in my Bible. I called it the arrow prayer. Right. Something comes to your mind straight to the Lord with it. Right. Straight heavenward with it or inward to the Lord, the Holy Spirit living in you with it. So we want to be living intentionally. Right. Knowing that God has chosen to use people. To bring the gospel to others. Just think about that for a minute. We shouldn't be sitting here going like, oh, this is just a random fact he's mentioning. This should, this should, this should cause a, a, a pride, a joy, an amazement with us. You, uh, no offense to anyone here. If I were sitting here, I'd say the same thing. Average Joe or Jane. Now, I know you're, wait, I'm more special than that. Not average. I aim for excellence. Well, you who aim for excellence are nothing without the Holy Spirit's work through you to reach other people with the gospel. We depend on the Lord for everything that we do. Listen to how Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 19 and then 22 through 24. Uh, and because this is sort of a topical sermon, I'm bringing in lots of passages and sometimes just reading a, a section of it. But he says, for though I am free from all, In other words, I'm not bound to a particular group or a particular people group. I've got freedom to go and to move where God calls me. I have made myself a servant to all. I'm an apostle. I have the authority to tell people according to God what to do and how to live. And it's with God's authority. I've humbled myself. I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them to the weak. I became weak that I might win the weak. And I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that 
In a race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Colossians 4, 5 through 6, Paul says, walk with wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the times. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Walk with wisdom. Well, where do we find wisdom? In the word of God. From believers who are, have gone before us, who have experienced more of this Christian life, who can help us understand how to apply the word of God. Wisdom, friends, is not simply knowledge. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied, which is according to God's standards. So we want to walk with wisdom towards those who are outside the body of Christ. That means knowing to the best of our ability who's not a believer. Not that we're judging their hearts, but we're trying to know people. And as we get to know people, it becomes clear whether the spirit of God is at work in their heart or if at least from what we see in this limited time period, if it doesn't seem like he is. And you notice I'm couching that very carefully, but it is what we are called to do. Humbly discern to the best of our human ability with the spirit of God working with us in us where people are at in their walk with the Lord. Recognizing that at times when we see people or interact with people, we're, we're looking at a proverbial snapshot, snapshot rather than the entire movie strip film, which is thousands upon thousands of still shots. Sometimes we see people in this moment and they may be genuine believers who are, who are running from the Lord at any uh, juncture in there. The Lord may introduce you into their life or them into your life. And so we are, to, we are to live intentionally and we're to actively serve others. Sometimes when we meet a need, we plant a seed in the in lives of people. They're struggling. Their, their life is too much for them to bear, it seems. Or they're just somebody that needs help with something. And when we see that, we have the opportunity to genuinely love people by serving them. And serving people can come in a lot of ways. It can be tangible. We think about uh, cars or groceries or their yard or different things like that. We can tangibly serve people. Sometimes we can serve people by listening. Man, they like to talk a lot. They just don't ever stop talking. Well, that's probably indicative of a greater need. Maybe indicative of a need for a friend. When many people avoid that person because they talk a lot, God may allow you to serve them by listening. And in God's wisdom, when the time is right, interjecting with thoughts that the Lord might think toward them. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, or brothers and sisters, only... Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. In other words, when we have, well, freedom in Christ, or when we have freedom in in life, do we typically strive to use that? to minister the gospel to people or to go to people with the gospel or, or to begin building a relationship to live intentionally and serve others? 
Or do we see it as more time for me, more time for my hobbies, more time for things that I'm interested in, more time to to build my business, more time to network for the sake of maybe things of the world. Now, that's not to say hobbies can't have hobbies. That would not be biblical. The question is what permeates your mind, what what um, what permeates your heart and your thoughts when a when a gap in your time or your availability or resources come open? Is it directed toward yourself typically or toward others? God says we want to be living in a way that's wise toward those who are outside of us, in a way that's, that's walking in a, uh, with wisdom toward outsiders, that's, that's living our lives as those who are focused on the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ being fully known around the world. I had a conversation with a good friend the other day. Who asked me, well, just, we're just talking about things. We're talking about those who, around the world who, who may have never heard the name of Jesus. And it's natural for us to think about and then to say, well, why might that be so? My question is, when you hear that, what are we willing to do to solve that problem? Now, one person can't do anything. I'm sorry. <laughs> one person can't do everything. But if the body of Christ were to come together and and pool our resources and our time and our efforts, could you imagine what, by God's grace, we could accomplish in Benton County? Just imagine. Or does your mind quickly wander off when we talk about it and you go back to the things of the world that are maybe inundating your thought or your heart? God says, come together, work together, be concerned about the lost in this world. We had to go to bed grieving at night that there are those in the world and in our own community, in our own town who do not know Jesus. You may not be an atheist, but it's possible that you might be a practical atheist. We're not praying. We're not structuring our time and our resources to reach the world. And God says, no, go into all the world, preach the gospel and teach, which leads to our our second point for this morning. Teach everything that God has given us through Christ and in his word. And this happens in three primary ways. Again, you could add more to this, but through gathered worship, through community fellowship and through life on life missional discipleship, or you might just think of smaller intentional gatherings. Right. That could be community group. It might be a a gender specific men's study. I'm getting ahead of myself. I can I can already tell or a ladies study. I'm trying to qualify too much. But we want to be engaging in the lives of others in these ways. Now, think about this word gathered or assembly. Right. Uh, This began as a word that wasn't a Christian word. Right. The word is um, the word is ecclesia and it means assembly or those who gather. And the church picked up that word, began to apply it to themselves. So whenever you see the word ecclesia in the Bible, it always has the idea of gathering as a body of Christ, which is part of where we get the idea of local, local churches, local bodies of Christ, those who can gather together for the cause of Christ. It began in the early first century. In Matthew 18, verse 20, it says, uh, I call this like the Walmart church verse. Uh, for where two or three are gathered in my name... There I am among them. Now, does that verse mean 
the spirit of God is not living in you and empowering you and mobilizing you, animating you when you're at home reading your Bible. Like, oh, I can't do this here. I got to go to church. Not only that, I got to find somebody to go with me. No, not at all. Not at all. And it's fine. Keep joking about it. What he's saying is that when you're gathered together, Jesus, who is the head of the body, is present and authoritative in the spirit-led decisions that we make as a body. My authority, God says, rests with the gathered church who are submitting themselves to me, learning from and listening to one another, and applying the Bible together. You have my whole authority. In fact, he says, whatever is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's powerful, friends. So we teach people by gathering. You might think, what in the world does this have to do with teaching? Well, the obvious is this kind of teaching right here. As we preach the Bible or as we teach the Bible in a Sunday school class or, or up, in the, uh, up in the youth room or uh, in different ways. When we gather together, primarily speaking about this kind of a corporate gathering, but also too, when we gather in community groups or journey groups or different things like that, when we're gathered together, we teach. But when we gather together in this way, we teach just by the virtue of our gathering. When we teach together, we hold up the Bible and we say, we're gathered under this word through the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is our umbrella. This is our authority. This is who we submit to. And we need to help one another in that cause. So by virtue of gathering, we teach. When we gather and we take the Lord's Supper together, this is not a free-for-all for everyone to come. We teach by the fact that we, we have these elements, this, this bread and this juice And we say, if you name the name of Jesus as your Savior and you're walking in consistent fellowship with your church, say if you live in another area and you've traveled here, then we invite you to take the Lord's Supper with us. But if you're someone that is in knowing uh, willful sin, you need to abstain and you need to check your heart and go before the Lord. You need to repent before we just casually say, oh, hey, it's snack time. We take the Lord's Supper when we gather as a body. Because in gathering, there's teaching. In gathering, there's accountability. When we gather, we, we recognize that we're a body. Not everyone teaches. Uh, every Sunday morning, we don't take five minutes and say, all right, let's just line up here, and then you just teach whatever you want. I mean, at least I'm going to kick back against that a little bit. No, I'm, I'm, I'm playing. There is a sense in which the body, Paul says, You know, we come together, everyone brings a psalm, everyone brings an encouragement. And these things happen as we move throughout the hallways, as we sit in this room before or after church, quote unquote, right? We talk about church as a thing or an event. We're the church. Jesus is the head, Colossians 1.17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent or first in priority. I want you to hear this quote by Bernard Howard. The local church isn't a piece of the heavenly church. We sometimes say casually, you know, oh, it's like a piece of heaven. You won't if you're upset with the church, by the way, because you might think everything should go nice and easily and smoothly and according to your liking. But that's a sidebar. 
The local church isn't a piece of the heavenly church, like a tiny chunk of a broken off big cookie. Instead, it's a miniature realization of the whole heavenly thing. One day we'll be able to do it with all local churches. One day we'll be able to do it without any sin. It'll go much more smoothly then. And so we teach by gathering. And of course, we teach the word in our gathering. Um, You'll notice that I love technology. Like I'm all about technology. When I ask you to open your Bibles, uh, when we're staying in in one primary passage, I'll ask you to open your Bibles or, or your app. Just find whatever you can do to get to the text. I want you to see the text and, and, and we're digital. I mean, I have all thousands of books on this iPad right here. Why do I every single Sunday place this Bible right here? You might notice it's like up at the top. Now, let's be careful. I, I'm not saying everybody who preaches has to do this. Let's be clear. But I, w- I want, I would say I, we, we want people to come in and see The word of God is where we get our stuff. When we encourage you, when you encourage me to live in a certain way, we ought to be opening up our word and saying, well, why do we do this? Well, because God told us to in the Bible. Well, I don't think that's going to work. Well, it's not up to you. You don't have all of the wisdom. You don't have endless ideas or wisdom that is perfectly right in every context between all ages and in any area of the world. God does. And so we preach and we submit to his word with great joy. And sometimes it's a perplexed joy. But we trust him. We obey him. And thirdly, we teach through, um, through or secondly, we teach through community fellowship, which overlaps much with the next point as well, right? Uh, community fellowship, it begins with the gospel. It's not simply gathering together. It's the idea, the biblical idea of koinonia. Now, if I say the word fellowship and I said, hey, tell me what I mean. Most of you are going to say, we're having a potluck after church. <laughs> Amen. Community fellowship means, or fellowship in the gospel means to be partnering together. In other words, working intentionally with one another under the authority of Christ for the cause of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Are you in fellowship with the church? Uh, what you don't need to hear is, did you come to church a lot this year? That's part of it. But let me ask, how are you koinonia ing, fellowship ing with the church? Are you contributing, whether it's through your gifts, your time, your talents, your energy, your ideas, your 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 connections, your relationships, and saying, I want to give my life in service to the Lord by partnering with other Christians to both reach the lost and teach them the gospel message and 
by God's grace, see more disciples come and continue to teach them. Now, let me tell you, you don't have to be, have the gift of teaching to be a part of that koinonia, that fellowship. In order for us to have church like this, a worship service, after the chairs are removed on Wednesday or on Sundays, after Awana and this gym is a disaster for Jesus, it gets cleaned up. Chairs get set back out. Did you know that? We don't just have a button and they're just... <laughs> I could give you a couple of reasons why not, but probably if we had the budget for that, we wouldn't assign it in that particular area. <laughs> the room gets tidied up. We have, we have adults and lots of teenagers putting slides up on the screen for you to be able to track with us and recording the service and and streaming it live to those who are unable to join us in person at different times and, you know, for different reasons. A lot of people that work together uh, for this to happen in this way. We have those who lead us in music and in worship and in scripture reading, those who come before church, quote unquote, to set up communion and get it and get it set out. There's a lot that happens in this kind of gathering for the word to be able to be proclaimed. The same is true in any other ministry. We, we want to be committed to teaching people, but that doesn't mean you're free from it if you don't have the gift of teaching. A lot of background stuff that happens that you could be engaged in. The idea of community brings together two words that are loaded with meaning, right? Community is the, the togetherness and the commitment that Christians experience that transcend all natural bonds. What brings us together? Well, it's not a football team, not a baseball team, not even a local high school, which I particularly enjoy that we are centered in between CPU and Vinton Shellsburg. We're not here because we're Vinton Shellsburgians. Or Centerpoint Urbanians. We're here because Jesus brings us together. We have different hobbies, different interests, different intellects, different focuses, different desires, different passions. But we come together because Jesus brings us together. Because we proclaim Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And again, this will be a, a summary. I've got it on the screen for you. But you were dead in your trespasses. Everybody in this room, if you name the name of Jesus, would say, I was dead in my trespasses, for sure. Dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, living in the passions of our flesh like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Sidebar, you didn't do anything of yourself without the spirit of God to make your salvation come about. God did a work in through you, in you and through you by his grace and mercy. And God raised us up verse six with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are already seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And we are not yet physically glorified and in the presence of Christ Jesus. It's an already not, not yet kind of a situation so that in the coming ages, he, God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for grace. You have been saved by grace. You have been saved. Grace is unmerited favor. When we work a job, we work for eight hours. We get paid 10 bucks an hour. 
20 bucks an hour, whatever you get paid. I'm just going with even numbers. You get 80 bucks, you get 160 bucks. It's your wage that you agreed to. And you worked for it to earn that wage. None of us have or can work for a wage of salvation. It's impossible. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works. Reaching, teaching, living out what it means to be wholehearted followers of Christ. For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 15 tells us that all of these things are so that God might create in himself one new man instead of the two. In other words, he's bringing people who have no reason to be together together, specifically in this context, Jews and Gentiles. But in our context, people have no reason to spend time together, let alone love one another sacrificially. God is doing it for this purpose. Lastly, we teach through life on life missional discipleship. Now, that seems like a mouthful, and it is. And it can be a, a variety of contexts. But we are to live our life for the purpose of impacting other people with the gospel of Jesus, which is very often and most often not a quick thing. So we're saying, Lord, I want to invest in those around whom I live, work, and play. I want to engage in coming alongside, supporting, teaching, encouraging other individuals. Again, that can be a specific, gender-specific group. It can be with a, a men's study or a ladies' study. It can be in a community group setting. It can be in a variety of settings. You can do that as, a, as somebody that has a Bible study at your employer or at home with your family. Life on life, missional. I'm living for the purpose that God has laid out in the world. I'm sorry, in the word. And discipleship is teaching people. Jesus said it in the Great Commission. Teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded. Not just three points and that's the end of the job. Teach them everything. That means it's continually growing. Go back to this other church's mission statement that I saw. More and better disciples. Reaching and teaching and living out what it means to be wholehearted followers of Christ. Randy Pope words it this way. Laboring in the lives of a few. Laboring. Working. Laboring in the lives of a few with the intention of imparting one's own life, God's word, and the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a way that they become mature and equipped followers of Christ, committed to doing the same in the lives of others. The Great Commission does not say that you are to go into all nations making converts. We want to go into every nation and we want to make disciples. And it begins here. Please don't ever come to the point where you say, well, I've learned the basics of the gospel and I'm good. Or I don't read so I can't learn X, Y, and Z. Or this is just how I'm wired, so this is, this is where I'm going to be. We're not to be complacent. If you say, well, this is, this is the point I've reached, and so this is the most it's going to get for me. Well, we're denying the power of Holy Spirit 
to continually be teaching you and motivating you and animating you for the cause of Christ in others. And we don't want to be doing that. Mark in Mark, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, fishermen. Jesus says, oh, I'll take your regular daily vocation and we'll turn it into fishing for people living for the cause of Christ in that way. And as Paul is teaching Timothy, he says in 2 Timothy 2, 2, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's a generational component. Paul was taught. Paul taught Timothy in the presence of many others. And Timothy is to teach others who will also be able to teach others. There's a whole lot of equipping in that middle part of the sandwich or that end part of it where Timothy is teaching others who need to be taught how to teach others and then will continue to teach others. It has to do with knowledge. It has to do with competency. It has to do with character. And God says, I will equip you for it all. So Oak Grove Church, how will we continue to be about God's business? Reaching, teaching, living out what it means to be wholehearted followers of Christ. Only then will we be wholly his. My question to you now as we come to the time of uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper is, is there an area of your life that you're aware of? Like, I'm not trying to be sneaky here. Is there an area of your life where you would affirm today, you know, I know that I'm not living wholly his. I'm not, there are areas of my life that I am, I am keeping or holding back intentionally, knowingly, not trying to trick anybody. And I also don't want to guilt anyone, anybody. And here's why I can say that. I will promise you on the authority of God's word, God's work in my own life, that when you will put God's kingdom first, this might actually even sound like a verse to you, because it is. When you seek first God's kingdom, He'll take care of everything else. You don't have to wonder if you're good enough, skilled enough, wise enough, patient enough, loving enough, knowledgeable enough. Those those can just be excuses. What you can do is say, God, I'm yours. And you saved me. I want to go to heaven tired. Would you use me? He will never say no. And you will never lack eternal joy in serving your Savior. Father in heaven, thank you that you are so good. You are so patient and wise. And you are your righteous in that you, you don't do an end run around your holiness
You, you send your son straight through the middle to die on the cross, to become our sin sacrifice, our substitute. Every one of us in here should be hanging on that cross. Every one of us deserves to die an eternal death, a physical death and an eternal death separated from you, actively being punished for our wickedness. But you have given us grace. And Father, there is, there is a world of hurting people. Would you help us to proclaim the gospel clearly, faithfully, and to back it up with the way that we live our lives by loving people, by patiently walking alongside people, but always standing under the authority of your word. And you've given us this Lord's Supper as a, as a reminder that we, would not, that we would not take your grace in vain. Pick it up when we want and cast it aside when we want. How selfish and self-serving, and yet I know that I have done it myself. But because you died on the cross, I don't live under your condemnation. No one here lives under your condemnation unless we refuse to humbly repent and to trust you as our only possible Savior. And with that, the, the Niagara Falls times infinity of your blessing is poured out on your people. May we be good stewards, quick stewards, faithful stewards, knowing that it's all empowered by who you are and what you do in us and through us. And anything good that happens, Lord, we want to, we want to look heavenward, give you all of the praise and all of the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.